0: Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Um, let me tell you about my day. Um, I woke up, <clears throat> I, I stayed up late last night. I, I'm reading a book that I cannot put down. And so um, Jane and I go to bed pretty early on the sun, uh, Saturday nights. And Jane went to bed very early and uh, it got to be late. And I was like, I have got to put this book down and go to sleep. So I put the book down and set my alarm for 6 a.m., Um, went to sleep. My alarm uh, sounded at 6 a.m. I got up, and when when I woke up, I noticed um, my wife is a, first of all, she's a very light sleeper. She didn't stir, and I just went, boy, Jane is really out, and so I I got up, and I went downstairs, and I, I met my cat along the way who was asleep on the steps and looked at me like, what are you doing here, and so I went down, made my coffee, and um, I lit a fire, and um, I, as the coffee was brewing, my eyes were just burning, and I, I tried to have a devotional quiet time, and, and I couldn't read the words. I mean, my eyes just wouldn't focus, and I felt deep within me, I just felt this incredible depth of fatigue, and I thought, I'm getting sick. You know, this is the way you feel when you're, like, getting a flu or something, so you know, I go and I get a cup of coffee and I drink it and I spend a little time praying. I read a little bit. My eyes are on fire. I have another cup of coffee. And then I realized I forgot something upstairs. So I went back upstairs and I, and I went to go get something out of, out of my briefcase. And when I bent down, I looked over at the dresser and the clock said 2.40. <laughs> and so I went, wait a minute, hold on. My my phone <laughs> says 6.40 and the clock on the dresser says 2.40, what's going on? So I, I got on the web and I, I, I said, Siri, what time is it been? And Siri said, it's 6.40. So I said, oh, okay, 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 I guess, but how could you have a power outage that resets your clock at exactly the same minutes that your phone is? So I looked under the settings at the world clock and my phone was set to Africa time. I, I don't know how it happened. We just got back from Africa three weeks ago, but my phone reset for East Coast time when the middle of the night, it reset to Africa time. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. So I grabbed a blanket and I, I got on this couch because I'm like, I'm not gonna wake Jane up. So I get on a couch and I pull the covers over and I'm all angry because I got two cups of coffee in me and I need to go back to sleep. <laughs> so I'm like, this is terrible. And right as I'm beginning to drift off to sleep, this memory comes back to me, and I don't know if it's the Lord, I don't know if it's me, you be the judge. But my mind flashed back to when I was 20 years old, and I was a camp counselor, and we had a whole cabin full of eight-year-olds, me and this this buddy, we had a cabin full of eight-year-olds, and this one boy we had, he was a disaster. He wouldn't listen, he ran around all over the place, he screamed, he yelled, he'd always run off. And so one night, we told the kids, and this was not true, so this is a lie. We said, hey, tomorrow morning we're going camping. And so all the kids, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they get all excited. They go to sleep. At two o'clock in the morning, me and my co-counselor went and we woke up this boy and we said, get up, get up. You take the longest to get a shower. Get up, get dressed, get your stuff. So the little boy runs in the shower, takes a shower, gathers all of his clothes, gathers them all, you know, packs his little bag. And then we said, it's only 2.30 in the morning and I go back to bed. And then the next morning, the next morning, we told him, we said, if you don't behave, we're gonna do that to you every single night. And so... What came, what flashed back to me was my co-counselor looking back at me, and he said, you know what, Steve? I don't know when, and I don't know how, but at some time in our lives, we are going to pay for what we just did, and I think I did last night. I think I paid for it last night. So, oh, be careful how you live, friends, all right? You can't make that stuff up. Okay, Um, so... This is a story about weakness and, and, and maturity, which is good, because today we're going to take a look at Romans 14, and in case you didn't know, um, we are almost at the end of our series on the book of Romans. We started it, does anybody want to guess the month we started the series? February. We started this in February. Today, um, um, we're, we're getting very close we have just a couple of, uh, two to three, if you know me, maybe ten more sermons on these last three chapters, and, and I've used Tim Keller quite a bit for research. He's done some great work here, and here's how he puts together what we've learned so far. Um, Tim Keller says the book of Romans is set up this way. Chapters, in chapters one through five, the Apostle Paul explains the gospel to us. The ins, the outs, the heights, the depths, just the breadth of what Jesus came to do. In verses six through eight, or chapters eight, uh, six through eight, he then invites us to experience the gospel, and then when we get to, to nine through 11, Paul is telling us that, look, when you experience the Gospel of Jesus Christ, it leads to this brand new life of glorious, joyful, grateful love. And then as Mark Santum likes to point out, once you hit chapter 12, Paul turns really practical on us. And he says, okay, I've built all this theology now, so I'm going to tell you how to live this out in everyday life. And Paul just practically says, look, here is what living out a life of love in Jesus Christ is all about. And and, and so he talks to us about living that life out among each other, uh, living that life out in the world. Living that life in relation to people who are enemies to us, hostile to us. And then, of course, last week, living out the life of love in Jesus as citizens in in whatever nation you live in. And that now brings us to Romans 14, where Paul talks about the life of love in relation to problems in the church, Believe it or not, folks, even back in the ancient Near East, there were problems in the church. and So so Paul is going to talk about um, internal issues that were going on back in the day in in Romans chapter 14. They won't be our issues, but, you know, we can apply what we learn here to anything we ever encounter together. So here's what happened um, back then in the Roman church, because the church is full of people, from time to time, disagreements would sprout up. Now, in Romans 14, some very specific problems have been brewing for quite a while, and by the time Paul writes this out, these have gone from just a disagreement to disputes. At this point in Romans 14, people, people are starting to spat and fight with one another, okay? So it's, it, it's turning into something big, and, and here's what they're fighting about. Uh, they were fighting over whether or not Christians could eat meat, or eat meat and vegetables. Um, They were fighting over holy days. What what exactly were holy days that needed to be observed? Um, They were fighting about what was considered clean or unclean for Christians, and they they were fighting about whether or not Christians could drink wine. At this time, people were divided. They're on both sides of the issue, and they are they st- they are just starting. To, they're putting up their dukes, and they're beginning to go at it. And we can look at this and kind of laugh at it, you know, and say, what, "How trivial, how petty, how ridiculous are things like this?" But look, if we're honest, this is the stuff of most holy wars in the church. <laughs> most of the things that Christians get in arms about. They, they, they are inconsequential. They're, they're typically very small matters, trivial, what the EPC would call non-essential. And, and as you can guess, these little issues were really just symptoms of a much deeper cancer in the church that Paul is about to identify for us right now in Romans chapter 14. I bet you can figure it out as I read it. So here we go. First 10 verses of Romans 14 from the Apostle Paul. He writes to the church, "'Except the one whose faith is weak "'without quarreling over disputable matters. "'One person's faith allows them to eat anything, "'but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. "'The one who eats everything "'must not treat with contempt the one who does not. "'And the one who doesn't eat everything "'must not judge the one who does, "'for God has accepted them.' Who are you to judge someone else's servants? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord." For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then... Why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your word and Lord, I know for me personally, Romans 14 has been look like looking into a mirror. Father, I thank you that your word does that, God. We, we can look and, and hear, uh, look at both the weak and the strong and see in ourselves a little bit of both. And Father, I thank you that Paul was not just writing for people way back then, but he's writing for us. And Lord, I thank you that, um, God, just, just that you come to do something beautiful in our lives and we don't want something else. We don't want something less, And as I've just been praying for this sermon all week, I just, I just had this over and over, this, this mental picture of as we, we, we went through Romans chapter 14, that the goodness of God would just roll into this sanctuary like, just like a cloud. And that as we, we hear your word, Lord, that, that we would just get wet with the goodness of God, that we would just find ourselves cleansed and encouraged and refreshed and renewed. God, we we want you to do something amazing in us. Father, we don't want to spend our lives reading other people's stories. God, we want to enter in to to the story of your grace and your power, the wonders of the Spirit of God, the gospel just alive in all of us in Jesus' name. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me give you a few key words from, from Romans chapter 14, beginning to end, or a few key phrases. Uh, Paul writes to the church saying, look, accept one another. He writes saying, serve one another, meaning by preferring and honoring one another, uh, act in love towards one another, and and do for one another whatever leads to peace. Now, the question is, why does Paul really need to say this to the church? I mean, you know, he, he's been teaching theology forever, and you know, these guys are already saved, and they're, they're doing such good ministry. Why does Paul need to write this to the church in Romans at this time? And the, the answer, we've kind of alluded to it, is that it's because there is a cancer that's beginning to grow up in the Roman church. And I read it here, you probably saw it, but the cancer in this church is judgment, okay? Now, specifically, it's Christians passing judgment on one another, and just so you know here, this wasn't just a few bad apples. You know, it wasn't like this section back here is doing it, and everybody else is clean. Back then, everybody is doing it, okay? This is a whole church where people are judging one another. It, it's like a tennis match, okay? This side, you know, hit, hits a lob of judgment here. They volley it back, and it's just going back and forth. Um, every, everybody's involved. Stronger Christians are judging weaker Christians. Weaker Christians are judging uh, uh, the, the stronger right back. And, and, and the stronger basically are looking down at the weaker Christians with contempt. Um, the, the, they're looking at them and, and basically the attitude of the stronger Christian in the Roman church is, look, you guys have got to grow up. You guys are so immature, you need, you need to lighten up and stop being so uptight about everything. And then the weaker Christians are kind of pointing up at the stronger, and they're saying, oh, yeah, well, you think we need to lighten up? Well, you guys, you guys walking around in all this grace and freedom, you need to tighten up. You guys need to stop your sinning. So what we need to do is we need to figure out, what in the world does Paul mean when he talks about a weaker Christian and a stronger Christian? And what we'll do is we'll start with the weaker Christian, okay? Um, so so here we go. To understand weaker Christians, we have to realize, first of all, that in the Christian life there are absolute truths and then there are matters of personal conv- uh, conviction and, and conscience. Now, Absolute truths, despite what Gen X crowd said years ago, there is absolute truth, all right? Absolute truth, 100% it absolutely exists. And absolute truths are clearly stated in Scripture and they apply to everybody no matter what. No matter where you come from, no matter where you're going, no matter what you look like, they apply to everybody. I'll give you a couple. Um, In Genesis 1-1, we get an absolute truth. Right out of the gate in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's another one much later in Scripture, John 14-6. Jesus gives us another one. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so here are two Absolute truths, and there are many, many more in Scripture. But uh, and, and these two are that God created everything in the beginning. There's nothing to talk about. Jesus Christ is the only way that God settled. They are clear. They are in Scripture. They apply to to just across the board for everyone. So that's absolute truth. Now, then there are matters of personal conviction or matters of conscience. Okay. Now, now these things are not clearly stated in Scripture, okay? They come from Scripture. These are applications like I read a passage, and this is how I apply this passage in my life, but they come from the Word of God, but they're not clearly stated for everybody in Scripture. Also, when it comes to personal conviction, there are things that the Holy Spirit whispers to different individuals about their lives, about their specific behavior, and about their direction, okay? And both of these, just so you know, again, are not explicit commands, but they aren't in conflict with Scripture in any way. These are typically areas that we need to grow. These are boundary lines that we need to set as Christians. They are not the same for everybody, Um, They are just for the individual or just for a few individuals. Now, having understood that, this is how Paul is defining a weaker Christian in Romans 14. He's telling us that, look, a, a weaker Christian will make a mistake when it comes to absolute truth and personal convictions. They will mistake their personal convictions for an absolute truth. They'll confuse them or make that mistake. So, so what they'll do is they will insist that their personal conviction is true for everybody and they will demand that everyone live it and everyone share it. I'll give you an example of this um, from the 70s and 80s. I went to a church early on where the pastor expected us all to live out his personal convictions. Now, here were a few of his personal convictions. No Christian can ever listen To any kind of secular music, rock, country, jazz, none of it. No Christian can ever see a rated R movie under any circumstance. You guys are gonna love this because we brought this up this morning, and back there in in the 70s, 80s, no Christian should be watching hee (laughs) haw. Does anybody know what hee haw is? You know, those scantily dressed country women, with your know, junior samples, BR549, salute. That was hee-haw, right? Now, listen, a- a- as a Christian, th- those were some pretty good ideas, you know. Those are some areas that, that you know, they're going to, I guess, keep you in the safe zone. But, but the problem is those are not in Scripture. And so, when he would take those and he would apply them to the whole church, you know what it became for the whole church? It became a legalism. It became this heavy yoke, and, um, you know, it, it, it was just, these were extra rules that we couldn't find in Scripture. And if you want to understand the Pharisees, here's an amazing thing about the Pharisees. The Pharisees had all the right beliefs. Do you know that? Resurrection, the power of God, waiting for a Messiah. They believed all the right things but they had created a whole system of legality and legalisms, and so, man, when Jesus spoke to them, it was like, you guys are tying millstones around people's necks. You are drowning people spiritually with all these extra rules, and and so Paul here is calling us away from making our personal convictions everyone's standard. Um, I'll give you an example real quick of a way to live out our personal convictions uh, in relationship to other people. Um, Jane and I have not done everything right, okay? I, I try not to give too many examples using us, but this is, is just one healthy area of personal convictions um, that, that, you know, in relationship to you. Jane and I have a conviction regarding our children and dating, okay? Now, here's the conviction. We do not let our kids date until they're 18 years old, all right? Now, I know that that sounds little house on the prairie. Uh, I, I get it, right, right? But it really works for us. But here's how we live this out. Um, We we are not, we we make an effort not to be weird about this or harsh or rigid. When it comes to our children, what we do is we gently teach our children very early on why we do this. Um, What the Lord has spoken to our heart about it and, and the fruit that we think is coming. We teach our kids about it without slamming or making fun of or disparaging other families who go a different route. Another thing we do, and I pray I'm doing it right now, is I do not use my position as, you, as your pastor to um, inflict that personal conviction on you. Um, I, I don't make my conviction your standard. And that's what Paul is really driving at here with weaker Christians. And, and really, the whole church is saying, look, when it comes to absolute truth, everybody be together on absolute truth. Okay, man. If God has said it clearly, you guys walk down that path. You you stay together on that. Live out absolute truth. Set, you know, build your lives around it. But but when it comes to to these personal convictions and, and matters of conscience that are, are not in Scripture. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to, one another, to, 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 to different folks in the church. Allow people to have room to walk with the Lord. Don't enter into judgment when somebody lives an application of Scripture or a whisper from God differently than you do. And so, so this is a big thing for Paul, and this is a big part of the disputes and getting into this life of love. Within, then Paul has a few more challenges for, for weaker Christians in regard to personal convictions. And in verse 5, he says, look, when it comes to your personal conviction, each one of you in verse 5 needs to be fully convinced in your mind of their validity. Now, what is Paul talking about here, be fully convinced in your mind? First of all, he's saying this, look, when it comes to a personal conviction, make sure that it lines up in Scripture you know, make, make sure that the Word of God supports it. And also, make sure that the Holy Spirit is really talking to you and calling you into this. Uh, in other words, make sure with your conviction that you're not biblically off base, and make sure that with your conviction, you're not following someone else's conviction. Have you all ever tried to do that? You know, someone else has got a conviction, and they're strong and loud about it, and you feel like, well, golly, I need to live that out if they do. Be careful of that, says Paul. Because i tell you, uh, other Christians, will they'll put a millstone around your neck. They'll put a yoke on you that God has not called you to bear. So Paul's just saying, be sure up here that this is your calling. And then in verses 3, 4, 10, and 13, Paul then warns the weaker not to enter into judgment towards stronger Christians. So he's saying, look, as you follow your God-given convictions Don't judge brothers and sisters who are living out a different conviction in their life. Don't judge someone who's free in in a place where God has constrained you. I mean, unless somebody's doing something unbiblical, unless somebody is doing something, you know, wildly extra-biblical, let them be free in the Lord. Let them walk that out. And then, finally, and and we have to hear this one right, okay, because this can land the wrong way. I had to read it several times. Paul says this in verse 22. He goes so far as to say to the Roman church that they need to keep their personal preferences and convictions to themselves. Just keep them between them and God. Now, here's why we need to bring balance to this one. We all share our lives with one another, don't we? We come to one another for advice, you know. I might look at, at Kirsten and Chris and say, you guys are doing a great job raising your children. What are you guys doing? They might share some of their conviction with me. They might testify as to how they're doing it. Paul's not talking about that. Remember, he's dealing with people at war. And so he says, hey, you know what? Since you guys can't share this stuff responsibly, just, just clamp it down. And, um, and so anyway... We've got that because, again, he wants a life of love. He wants us living this life that Christ gave to save us. Now, now this is what Paul says to the weak, and I'm just going to be pastoral for just a minute and take a risk, and, and I want to I give you counsel on one other thing. Paul doesn't include it here uh, because it wasn't around in Paul's day, but I, I want to share something to be very careful of in this day and age, okay, when it comes to something that will bring weakness and judgment all over us. I would ask every Christian in the room to be very, very careful currently of watchdog ministries. Okay? Now, that's not the name of a ministry, but here's what I mean. There are, I know, it sounds like a a ministry. But watchdog ministries, I'm talking about all those internet ministries out there right now, and they are making noise, and they are making a buck on tearing other ministries and other ministries apart. Folks, they are all over the place right now, and they are like piranhas. They are feasting off of anybody who has a little different theology than they do, or, or someone misspeaks, or, or if they perceive that anybody you know, is, is spiritually misstepping in any way, what they do is they sound the alarm, they sound it often, they sound it loudly, they are disparaging people, they are maligning people, and here's where it gets really bad. Not only are they blaming other people, but they're out there naming names. And I'm going to tell you guys, this, it, it grieves the heart of God. And I know sometimes these ministries, they have something that we need to hear, you know, every now and then they do. But most of the time, it's hypercritical. It's judgmentalism. It's half the story. And right now, these guys are ripping everybody from Bethel to Beth Moore. How do you rip Beth Moore of all people? But they're doing it, right? Because people are listening. They're they're feasting and feeding. And listen, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it in light of Romans uh, 14, 4, where Paul says, look, who are you to judge someone else's servants? And the translation in the Greek is, who are you to judge God's servant? I don't know how they do it in light of Jesus in Mark nine thirty-eight through 40, you remember the scene? Uh, the disciples come up to Jesus, as they often do, right? They come up to Jesus, and John says, Teacher, you're never gonna believe what we just saw. We just saw someone out there driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he wasn't one of us. You remember what Jesus said? Don't stop him, for whoever is not against us is for us. And, and so I don't know how these groups keep up their attacks, that's on them. But what is on us is to stay out of the judgment zone. Hey, does anybody work at Planet Fitness? Or work out at Planet Fitness? Anybody? Okay, what's the motto on the wall of, of Planet Fitness? No judgment zone. That's where we want to be as Christians. You know, just, just put it down and walk away when it comes to those guys. Okay, so... That's the weaker. Now, then there are stronger Christians, and Paul's got advice for stronger Christians, which is all of us, right? Because there's not a weak Christian in the room. So, for, for stronger Christians, uh, and by the way, here's, here's a stronger Christian. Just by definition in 14, Paul says, look, a stronger Christian is anyone who is freer. They are just freer in regard to, to legalism. And here, they can eat anything, it's all good to them. Um, everything is clean to them. All days are alike. And when you study it in the Greek, it's not, not for the stronger. they're like, "Oh, yeah, one day's like the next." For the stronger, every day is holy to them. So that's a stronger Christian. So Paul says to, to the stronger Christian, "Look, while all of that is wonderful in your life, that doesn't make you better. That doesn't make you superior. In fact, it leaves you with some mature responsibilities in the body of Christ. Like this, verse 1, not to squabble over disputable matters. In other words, stronger Christian, you should never be arguing with a weaker Christian about their weakness. That's verse 1. Verse 3, don't look down on, on a brother or a sister who is weaker with contempt, with scorn, um, one time we hosted a, a, a ministry in Charlotte, and they came in and they, they came to do, they were, they were like top notch. Everybody knew of this group. They came in, and unfortunately, this is the most arrogant group of people I've ever seen. You know, they took one look at our church and congregation, and they were like, you this, let's get this done to get out of here. So Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Strength never does that. Verse 13, and I'll camp out here for a minute. Don't put up any obstacle or any stumbling block in the way of a weaker person. What does Paul mean when he says, don't put up a stumbling block or an obstacle, okay? Verses 14 through 21, you can read it all on your own, but he's saying here, look, do nothing to destroy someone else's faith. Don't do anything to bring doubt for anyone for whom Christ has died. In other words, stronger Christian, if you are with someone who is weaker, and you know they have a personal conviction about something like taking easy when drinking right you know maybe a weaker christian says you can't drink any kind, no alcohol can ever touch your lips ever a stronger christian can look back and say look you know jesus turned water into wine sorry but it had alcohol in it the bible says don't be drunk with wine but which means we can have some don't do that paul says no 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 don't do that if, if you know someone has a personal conviction about something, don't engage in that behavior in front of them. There's, there's no reason to ever do it. If you're stronger, you don't have to do that. Don't tempt them to, 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 to give up their personal conviction. Oh, it's not that bad. Come on, man. If you were really free in Christ, you could do that. Don't, no, says Paul. Don't do that because it's a matter of faith for them. This is their conscience you're playing with. Don't do anything to to tempt or disrupt that. If it violates what God told them to do, then it's not for you either in that moment, stronger Christian. And so what he's saying is, look, stronger Christian, you are free. You have stepped into life and light, but that that is not a license to injure anybody's faith. That that is not a right to rattle the spiritual cage of, of someone who's not as free as you are. I gave a a piece of advice uh, in regard to weakness and watchdog ministries. I'll, I'll give one to the stronger Christian now. And this was the very last thing. And the Holy Spirit just spoke it to me as I was finishing this message. On Wednesday, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to remember as you give this message, everyone is weak in something. And I was like, yes, Lord, that's so true. Isn't it true? No matter how strong you are in Christ, is this a work that he is still completing? Every one of us has got, you know, every one of us has got a legalism somewhere. Every one of us is, is growing up somewhere. We're all getting healed and cleansed and polished somewhere. And somebody who is truly strong in Christ will know that. They'll know that. They'll walk in humility. So when you run into someone who's strong in Christ and they've got it all together, you know, and they've got the strut and all, that, that's, that's not Christ you know cause strength is humility in the body of Christ strength is preferential love strength is honoring everyone strength is about mutual edification so the greatest stru- sign of strength in the bible it's not superior knowledge and it, it's not grace that's gone crazy or freedom that's out of control it's love it's love it is compassion deference preference love for everybody else And that's why Paul is talking to the Church of Rome, and today that's why he's talking to Kempsville Presbyterian Church. He's saying, look, you guys, all of you Christians, you are called, I am called, we're called to a life of love. And that life of love, it doesn't start when we go out out there, you know, hey, I'm out of the church, start the life of love. Life of love starts right here. The life of love begins not out there in the community, but right here in the family of Jesus Christ. We are called, verse 19, to make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. We, y'all, we are here to help one another live for the Lord, die for the Lord, become faithful servants of the Lord. Paul says, look, you do this. In verse 18, he says, look, if you do this and you serve Christ like that, Romans fourteen. You're going to do two big things. Number one, you're going to please God. Okay, uh, we hear that a lot. Is that a big deal? It's a huge deal. Because you, you want to talk about the favor of God, the anointing of God, the Spirit of God moving through a piece, through a people. One of the best books I have read in the last ten years is is a book by uh, John and Carol Arno, Grace and Forgiveness. And it's just calling us all into that, into grace all over the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you something. When a a people begin to edify and build one another and and preference one another, y'all, the favor of God falls on a people, and what they do out there is the stuff of the book of Acts. The Spirit of God just conducts through people like that. So so we have the favor of God, but Paul says we, we also receive human approval. Now, what does that mean? That means in the body of Christ, if we're loving each other like that, there is unity among each other. There is agreement among one another. And then again, when we step out there, oh, my gosh, it just happens. People come to Christ. P- people meet the power of God. You know, a lot of folks say, man, where is the power of God in the church? Well, I'll tell you this, the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. I don't believe that revival is something we're waiting for. I believe revival already happened, and the church steps in it. as as we come into the fullness of God, as we live among one another like this. And so this is what we're talking about, unity, agreement. Um, So today I just want to thank the Apostle Paul, okay, because he's done a beautiful thing in Romans 14. He has taken all that theology that he built and he built, and it's complex and it's just this beautiful, rich tapestry. He's taken that theology and like a plate of cookies, He's just put it right down there on the lower shelf for every one of us. What Paul calls KPC to as the Roman church, this is livable. This is doable. And I have loved, mostly. I've mostly loved looking in the mirror of Romans 14 and saying, God, bring me here. Do this great work in me and do it in this people. What do you think? Good news? All right. I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna invite altar ministers up. So let, let me just linger in prayer for just a minute. Father God, um, I love the institution of the church, and I thank you that when we gather together to worship, uh, Lord, you will always honor it. Father, where the word of God is preached, you, you are go- that word is never going to return void. Father, we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. But Lord, we, we also thank you that there is a deeper level. And, and I believe this is the difference between milk and meat spiritually. Father God, we are all offered this beautiful opportunity to step into a place of just preference of each other, uh, putting down things like judgments, God preferring and loving and building up. And God, may we we as individuals answer that call in Jesus' name. I, I thank you for two times this week that I was praying over this message that something almost left my lips that did not edify somebody else, and you said, stop. Father, we ask you for that, Lord. We just ask you for that conviction of the Spirit to pack up anything which is critical and negative and judgmental towards someone else and and just just put it at the foot of the cross in Jesus' name and to step into words of life, into blessing one another. Father, we we just want to open our physical hands and the hands of our heart and say, Holy Spirit, just come and fill us to overflowing as a church. Bind us together in the name of Jesus in a rich new way. God, make us a family a community, Lord, and, and as we go out, and, and whether we go to the food pantry or the outreach we hear next week or union mission or we go to love our neighbors, Father God, we, we pray that you would take ordinary moments and make them supernatural. That God, when we go to pray with someone, that Lord, we'll pray and we'll see you move in somebody's life. You know, that we'll see physical healing, emotional healing in someone's life. The Spirit of God move. That Lord, as we go out and we share Jesus with people, that that will actually turn into prophetic evangelism. That, that Lord, you, you could move through words of knowledge through us if you want and just say whatever individually will just, oh, just meet a person where only you can. Father God, we want in every way to be everything you called the church to be, everything that, that Jesus was raising those disciples up to be. Lord, I, I don't want uh, the storyline of the, of the 21st century church to be, oh, they got together and they had some great services. Father God, we want it to be that man, the, the, the church in the 21st century, they ransacked the kingdom of darkness with the light of Jesus Christ, the power of God, and the love of God. So, Lord, turn us in that direction as people and as a church in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, yeah, look, if you, uh, if, watch out for this thing, it's tough to, the, I didn't know about that. Um, If you need prayer today, we would love to pray with you. Um, You know, if if there's any need in your life, you know, anything that you heard today, there are people up front who will pray. We would love to pray with you. But having said that, I want you to know we love you. We thank God for you. You people are beautiful. All right? Have a good day in Jesus. We love you. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.